Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, I'm Nikki Young and this is Serial Mapper, an international true crime podcast. Tonight's story is a little bit different than mm, anything I've ever covered, but it's as fascinating as it is tragic. The Goler family lived a life of isolation in a mountainous area near Wolfville, Nova Scotia, almost completely secluded from the rest of society. A heads up, this story does involve incest and sexual abuse, something not easy to talk about and not easy to listen to, but I think it's important that we do talk about it because it's something that's real, that happens, that isn't just played out on a movie screen. It's truly horrific what the Goler clan forced their own family to do, and the long-lasting effects of this generational abuse are still felt today. This is really a combination of the movie Deliverance and The Hills Have Eyes, so you've been warned. 
Before we jump in, tonight's episode is sponsored by Something to Laugh At. You guys, this is your official palate cleanser website. Seriously. The case tonight, it's another tough one just like the other week. Things are going to get really difficult and the Something to Laugh At website has everything you need to maintain your sanity. It's got funny memes and videos. You guys know I'm all about that meme life. I often find myself scrolling through Facebook trying to find funny content to kind of take my mind to a different place, especially doing the research for this kind of stuff. But if you go to somethingtolaughat.com, you'll find everything you need for a laugh. Check out somethingtolaughat.com for funny videos, pictures, and memes that you're going to want to share with all your friends. All right, let's jump in. So we're going to go back to Canada tonight to talk about the Goler clan who lived in an isolated community near Wolfville, Nova Scotia, which is in the Annapolis Valley. This is less than an hour drive from where I used to live before I moved to Tokyo. And I know I have quite a few listeners from Nova Scotia, so you may or may not have heard of this family. I think most people who grew up in the area know who the Goler clan was, but people like myself who only lived there for a few short years, I was shocked to learn about them. Wolfville, Nova Scotia, it's everything that you would envision a small, quaint town to be. It has so much charm with its older buildings and friendly folk. It seriously looks like something out of a Hallmark movie. Wolfville is also home to Acadia University, so in addition to a large farming community, you'll also find a large student population. But the Goler clan, they lived on the outskirts of Wolfville and mostly kept away from everyone and anything. The family took up residence in a small place called South Mountain, which is exactly what it sounds. It's remote wilderness, a great place for hiking and camping, but also a great place to basically hide whatever it is that you're doing. This is exactly how the Goler family got away with their crimes and secrets for so long. But in the early 1980s, everything would start to unravel, and the full extent of what was happening would come to light. The Golers were known as mountain folk. They lived in two dilapidated houses that had dirty windows, you know, no curtains. The grass around the houses was long and unkept. They obviously didn't bother mowing. There was garbage just everywhere. Old rusted cars and bikes just scattered around. The home itself on the inside was also really dirty. They didn't clean up after themselves. It had tattered furniture. And this wasn't just a case of being poor. The family really just didn't give a shit about upkeeping anything, including the homes and themselves. And you'll see, like, this is not a story about shaming people who are poor and can't afford nice homes and things. It's really about the choices that they made. They really made a lot of these choices to live like this. The Goalers supported themselves by foraging for food like berries. They fished. They hunt. They did a very minimal amount of farming. They had a few straggly chickens. um, And additionally, they collected social welfare benefits. They were able to get by, but they were definitely a poverty-stricken family, and it stayed that way because no one was allowed to leave the family to better themselves. Like I said, they lived in dirt and filth, 
and they didn't really understand that this wasn't really any way to live. Many of the Golers were born with both intellectual disabilities and very serious physical disabilities, including being born with physical abnormalities and even paralyzation. Much of this was as a result of family inbreeding. When you hear the word incest, for most people, your mind just goes to a very dark place. Incest is illegal in many places, but it's also just something most of society finds to be repulsive and unthinkable. The Goler family, they had a history of generational incest. So what started out as maybe an initial decision or a choice to live this way became the only known way of life that was strictly enforced. The children who were born into the Goler family were also forced to engage in incest. They were often abused and raped by their family members from a really young age. They were also forced into hard labor, forging, cooking, keeping the household going, basically whatever was needed of them to do. Putting the mental effects of incest aside, the physical problems can be huge. When the DNA of two relatives mix, the chances become greater that recessive genes for various defects or disorders will become more prominent, which means the offspring of the Goler family continued to birth children with both severe mental and physical disabilities that just kept getting worse with every generation born. I'm not even going to attempt to try to give you a family tree here because it's incredibly complicated, but I will be introducing you to some of the key people as we move along in this story. The adults of the Goler clan had very little education, and they didn't put any importance on learning or school. But surprisingly, the children who lived there did actually attend school. This would have been their little glimpse into society, into the outside world, and into social norms. At first, I was really surprised to read that they were sent to school, that they were allowed to go to school, because you would think that this would have been somewhat of a liability, that maybe it just kind of opened the doors to one of the children telling what was going on there. But I think actually what it was is by sending the kids to school, this helped the family to collect their social welfare money every month. They had to show that they had children, that they were sending their children to school, bringing them to the doctor, stuff like that. So it was all just sort of a ruse to ensure that they were able to keep collecting their social welfare. Even though the children were brought into this family dynamic from birth and were raised in such a way that they were taught all of this was normal, something at the core of us as human beings can alert us to things that just feel wrong, that just don't feel okay. And they likely met other children at school, getting a glimpse into their lives and their family dynamics. And they would have done some comparisons. So in the 80s, several of the Goler family children had actually attempted to tell outsiders and authorities about the abuse that they were suffering. But as what happens a little too often, especially back then, the kids, they weren't believed. You see, there was this divide between the people who lived in town and around the town and the people who lived in South Mountain. The town folk were definitely a little more well-to-do, and then the South Mountain dwellers, they were very, very poor and looked down upon. 
Unfortunately, this led to this sort of prejudice. And I guess you could say that they were just left to deal with things on their own. So when the children weren't believed, they were basically handed back to their parents and the parents would go on to severely punish them to make an example that they or anyone else living there should never tell anyone again. However, on January 21st, 1984, one of the children, a 14-year-old girl named Sandra Goler, would reveal the details of a long history of torture and sexual abuse to a school official who just couldn't ignore it this time. Sandra had gotten in trouble in the classroom for not paying attention, so she was sent out into the hallway until she was ready to smarten up. Somehow, I don't know why, but this instance just broke Sandra, who was holding in so many terrible secrets, and so she just began to sob in the hallway. A teacher spotted her and asked her what was wrong, to which Sandra replied, My father has been using me as a wife. The details of what this girl told her were so horrific, it just wasn't possible that they were made up. So a social worker was called into the school, and Sandra told the social worker that her father had been sexually abusing her since she was just 9 or 10 years old, and it was happening as many as 15 times a month. You guys, that's every other day that this poor 14-year-old girl was being assaulted by her own father. Now, this social worker wasn't from the area. She was actually from Vancouver. So she didn't have that same sort of prejudice that perhaps some of the other local folks and authorities did. She took what Sandra was saying very seriously. And she had her placed with CPS, knowing that there was no way she could send her back home to her father. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or RCMP, were called and they questioned Sandra for further details. Sandra retold her story of sexual, mental, and physical abuse, how her father was using her like a wife and raping her every day. She also mentioned that her father was trying to get her pregnant, hoping that she would bear him a son. She said she lived over on South Mountain with many other familial adults and children. Sandra's father was a man by the name of William Goler. He lived in South Mountains with his girlfriend Wanda and his three daughters. He was described as being slow and uneducated, but he wasn't really that unintelligent. He was kind of the head poncho of this family. He made most of the decisions in the family, including the one where they were going to take advantage of the social welfare system and get those checks. He was also fully in charge of telling all the kids what to do, even if they weren't his kids. William, along with other men in the Goler home, were known to sexually abuse all of the children. William didn't just sexually abuse his own. It happened to all the kids in the house. It didn't matter how old the kids were. In fact, it often started when the child was around 8 or 9 years old. Clearly, this was a very dire situation that needed intervention immediately. Now, normally authorities would want to move in on something like this quickly and swiftly in order to protect the kids, but there were challenges in doing this with the Goler family. This family was big at hunting. They had tons of hunting guns, and police were afraid that just driving up to the home might cause a violent confrontation. 
So police decided not to inform William that they had taken Sandra to a foster home because they were afraid of what he might do to the other children. And they didn't immediately drive up to the home because they were worried he might react with violence. So they decided to wait and pick up the other children from school. When Sandra didn't come home from school that day, William was furious. He assumed that she had run away, as she had tried to get away many times in the past. William would always punish Sandra every time she tried to do this by hurting her two sisters. He would use this as a way to get Sandra to behave, because she'd feel guilty about him taking it out on her two sisters. So with Sandra now seemingly missing, William was enraged. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, 
I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle. And I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code NAPPER50 at factormeals.com slash NAPPER50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. The next day at school, authorities pull aside the rest of the children to interview them as well. At first, they were met with resistance. These children had been abused in so many ways and threatened that if they were to ever tell what was happening back home, there would be big consequences. But eventually, with some kindness and understanding, they finally began to tell the secrets that they had held on to for so long. Authorities learned that there were a number of Goler children, some as young as seven years old, who were victims of sexual abuse at the hands of fathers, mothers, uncles, aunts, sisters, brothers, cousins, and each other. One of the most important testimonies came from Sandra's 11-year-old little sister, Donna. Here's a little bit of what Donna would later say of the abuse she experienced at the hands of her family. The first time I can remember, I was five, just going on six, because I had just graduated from kindergarten, going into grade one. I came home, and that was the first time I had been raped, and it was by my father. If somebody wanted to have sex with one of the kids, he would let them for a case of beer or a carton of cigarettes, or even a pack of cigarettes. They got to pick out whichever child they wanted to have sex with. We had nothing to say. We couldn't prevent it. We couldn't stop them. We were basically lined up against the wall, and they chose the one they wanted, and we were forced to do it. Ugh, guys, my my fucking heart, seriously. The investigators, much like myself, they were shocked that this had been carrying on for so long. These children, they had been going to school. They had reported such behavior to the teachers before, and they weren't believed. They had been seen by people, many people, people including doctors, and everyone just sort of turned a blind eye. Even though it was clear that something was happening, though I'm sure no one could have imagined that it was to this extent. The children came to school every day very clearly dirty, hungry, ragged, and then when they tried to speak out and get help, they were ignored. It's like people just didn't want to know what was happening at South Mountain. So police decide it's time to go up to South Mountain and start to make some arrests. When they get to the house, William answered the door and he invited them in. The police really just couldn't believe what they were seeing in this home. It smelled like sewer. Everything in the home was covered in filth and flies. This was the 80s and there was no indoor plumbing. There were nine adults sitting in the small rundown home, 
all of which were brought into police custody. Now, remember, guys, I want to make sure you guys know I'm not shaming poverty. That's not what I'm doing at all. These adults made some very clear choices to live this way. So I just want to make that very clear. This has nothing to do with them being poor and everything to do with the choices that they made to live this way. Now, during the interrogation by police, William started out by flat denying the children's claims, but there was really nothing that he could say. The police already had all of these witness testimonies from the children. Several of the other adults interviewed would openly admit to and even boast about engaging in sexual activity, including full-on sex multiple times with the children. They often went into graphic detail, even claiming that the children themselves had initiated the activity. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this story, some of the adults here were completely brainwashed into thinking that this was normal. This was just how people and families lived. Some of these adults were also severely mentally delayed. Authorities charged 13 Goler adults with over 100 counts, including incest and assault, and many of the cases involved minors from age 6 to 14. The surrounding communities and the rest of Canada, they were in utter shock at what they began to hear in the media, how this had all been happening in this small community in Nova Scotia, too close to home for this long, and nothing was done about it. When it went to trial... It was revealed that the sexual assault had gone on within this small, tight-knit clan for over a century. And when push came to shove, these 13 adults were tried and sentenced, each of them receiving only between one and seven years in prison. The issue here was that many of these individuals were mentally handicapped due to all of the inbreeding that was happening in their family. A Canadian news station interviewed one of the Goler family members, a 57-year-old man who doctors labeled mentally disabled. He had just been released from prison after four months behind bars, and he was confused about his incarceration. He insisted to the reporter that he didn't know what he had done wrong. He was just living life as he always had. Reportedly, another family member didn't even know what the word incest meant. They thought that they were saying insect. Some of them, even after their stays in prison, just didn't possess the intellectual capabilities to understand what they had done wrong. They felt like they had been locked up and they still just had no idea why. So it's a really tough case of nurture versus nature and the capacity to even know what is right and what is wrong. Some of the community felt like these people needed mental help and not just to be put in prison, but it was just as much split between those who felt that they got off with it easy and needed to stay in jail longer and those who felt like they really just needed mental help and no prison time. The convicted goalers who did go to prison, they faced violent retaliation in jail. As you know, those people who hurt children are often brutalized in prison. Those goalers who didn't go to jail, they received public threats. When the offending goalers were released from prison, 
They went back to living a life of poverty and isolation, which was the root of the problem to begin with, not knowing what they had done wrong. Nothing really changed. Nobody really got any help. They had served this prison time, not really connecting it to their crimes, and now they were pretty much just back to doing what they were doing before. The Canadian government placed all 12 Goler children with foster parents, and they were never released back into the care of their biological family. Donna Goler, whose testimony was key in convicting her father William and other family members, would go on to strongly advocate for children's rights and to fight to keep children protected from child predators and pedophiles. Specifically, she's advocated for the law to provide greater protection for the young relatives of convicted child molesters. She's really just taken a stand to try to make the best out of a really horrible situation. So this has been an overview of the Goler clan and the situation and the way that they were living without going into too much graphic detail. But if you'd like to learn more about the Goler clan, there is a book called On South Mountain by David Cruz and Allison Griffiths. It's a really, really good read. It helps you to really get into the mind of some of these victims and it gives you a more in-depth look at what was really happening in this home. I mean, like I said, I covered some of the more general stuff, but man, it was a brutal home. Like I'm talking Texas Chainsaw Massacre type home. There's also a documentary on YouTube. It is really old. Like, I don't know when it was filmed. It's seriously old. But it does have some interviews with the family. It's called The Goler Clan 1986. And I'll have the link in my show notes. It's kind of interesting to hear right from their mouths about what they think was happening and what they felt. And you can kind of get, I don't know, a perspective on who these people were and maybe some of their mental capacity. So the question remains, who's to blame here? Were the adults just victims kind of carrying out these actions that they were taught? Or should they have known better and that what they were doing was wrong? Do you think we could really blame them? Like, let me know what you think. That's it for tonight. I want to once again thank our sponsor. Guys, make sure you visit somethingtolaughat.com. They've got tons of funny videos, pictures, memes, everything you need for a good laugh. And I know you need a good laugh right about now. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, all one word. And if you are listening on YouTube, I would love if you could give me a thumbs up and subscribe. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye.